Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. We're going to be studying Leviticus at 10,000 feet this morning. You can turn to Leviticus chapter 1, just prepare. Have you heard these phrases growing up? Take off your shoes before you come in that door. Of course, maybe you just heard it from your spouse earlier this morning. Or brush your teeth before going to bed. Or do not wear white after Labor Day. By the way, is that a California thing? Is the Midwest, you never wear white shoes or white after Labor Day. Yeah? Rules, rules, rules. No one really likes rules, do they? There might be a few, but we think they're odd. Especially if we do not understand the purpose of the rules. That's typically what we don't like. Our children constantly question the rules and try to find ways out of them. But I guess we all do that. That's why we have politicians and lawyers. But as we get older, we usually, thank you for that one chuckle. But as we get older... We usually come to understand the importance of rules and rituals and regulations and the role they play in helping us live well-ordered lives. Those things play a part. All of us have our rituals and our rules and our ordinances and things like that that just help us keep us balanced. Now, we may not agree with all of them. We look for loopholes. We argue over the finer points. But for the most part, we do our best to live by them. Rules have an important part to play in our lives. And that's important for us to understand as we work our way through Leviticus. Now, we've all been here, right? We've committed to reading through the Bible in one year. Anyone, by the way, just real quickly, committed to reading the Bible through the one year, any time in your life? Said, I'm going to read through the tribe to do that? Yeah. Well, this might be your story. You start off strong with the book of Genesis as it introduces the story of creation and Adam and Eve. It tells us of the Garden of Eden and then tells us about the fall of man. We move on to the conflict with Cain and Abel and the beginning of civilization and God's judgment of the wicked and the rescue of Noah and his family. We move on with God selecting Abraham and the promise of God to build a nation for God's glory. Isaac and Jacob, the sons of Abraham, and then his 12 sons, including Joseph, are all introduced and we hear about their ups and downs, their successes and their failures. And we see that they move into the land of Egypt to escape a famine as we come to the end of Genesis. We open then to the book of Exodus It's still exciting, but we see the terrible realization that the children of Israel, not only are they not in the promised land, not only have they not received the promises of God, but they are now enslaved by their Egyptian host. Once they were guests, now they are slaves. And for over 400 years, they served their Egyptian masters, crying out for God to deliver them from their plight. And we saw this last year, Exodus, then we read God hears their cries. He remembers his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. And he sends Moses, a a, a deliverer, along with his brother, Aaron, 
to deliver them from the clutches of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We excitedly move through the Exodus narrative as Moses and Pharaoh batter over God's demand to let my people go. We read that Pharaoh hardens his heart, so God sends a series of plagues that changes Pharaoh's mind. However, each time Pharaoh relents and refuses God's demand. Finally, God gives one final warning that he will kill the firstborn male of both humans and animals livestock alike if Pharaoh does not obey the commands of God. Pharaoh foolishly disregards the warning God sends the angel of death to strike the death blows. Pharaoh wakes up to the cries of those who have lost their children. And in sorrow and anguish, we read in Exodus that he finally tells Moses, take your children, take them and go, leave us. They do so only to find once again that Pharaoh changes his mind and he pursues after them with his armies and his chariots. But in a magnificent display of power, God causes the Red Sea to part so that Israel may pass out of, out of Egypt onto dry land to the other side. In a foolish display of anger, Pharaoh's army, seeing that Israel is getting away, drives after them only to be drowned as God's hand causes the sea to go back to their own boundaries. Exodus continues with the story of Israel as a journey through the wilderness. We're still with it. We're still with our plan. We read of the joyous worship for God's deliverance for their, and to their belligerent disobedience to God's command. And we wonder what is wrong with these people. We read through the account of Moses meeting God in the mountaintop where Moses is given the Ten Commandments along with the instructions for the tabernacle. The book ends with the building of the tabernacle and God's glory coming down from heaven and residing in the most holy place. And as we end Exodus, we are struck by the exciting narrative of both Genesis and Exodus. And then we move quickly through the early history of man and the children of Israel. We can't wait to continue. And then we read and we come to Leviticus. We start the first chapter. We wade through the second, but our eyes begin to glaze over and our mind starts to wander. And eventually other things become much more important than our Bible reading plan. And before you know it, it's been derailed. Are you with me? Have you ever been there? But you're not alone. Most of us, Leviticus has been our albatross. It has been the place where we derailed our Bible reading plan. Well, what we want to do in this sermon series on Leviticus is I want to help you see this wonderful book with different eyes and with a hungry heart for the things of God. We hope with God's help to view Leviticus with the knowledge that it's also part of the inspired word of God. God expects us to read it and understand it and that it, that it contains those things that pertain to life and godliness. It is for us as well as for an ancient people. Though it can be difficult at times to read and understand, this book continues the story of God's redemption of man. So I want to start with some basic facts about Leviticus as we look at it as an introduction. First, it is the third book of the Bible. It's part of the Torah, the law, or as we call it, the Pentateuch. Tradition agrees that the author was Moses and that it was written to the children of Israel. 
is written immediately after the completion of the tabernacle with God's glory descending upon it. It mainly contains instructions and does not have much narrative like Genesis and Exodus, which is usually why it stops us from reading because it's more about instructions. It consists of 27 chapters and it lists the legal and the ritual considerations for the children of Israel. Now, the original Hebrew title is taken from the first word of Leviticus that is translated, and he called. Whereas to us, we get the title Leviticus comes from the Latin Vulgate, which is the version of the Greek Old Testament, which means the matter of the Levites. Levites were one of the tribes of Israel. The New Testament writers quote the book of Leviticus over 15 times. As you look in the monitor there, you'll see that there's some main themes that wind its way through. The first, you see holiness. That's the various laws that have to do with holiness before God and with love of your neighbor. You'll see that it speaks of repentance, the acknowledgement and turning away of sin. You'll see forgiveness, the satisfaction and the removal of sin. You'll see the theme of restoration time and time again. The recovering of a meaningful relationship with God and others. And lastly, you'll see doubt and assurance. How obedience flows from confidence in God's promises. Now, some of the major characters are Moses and Aaron, the priests from the tribe of Levi. And we'll get a brief appearance of Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu. Now, the purpose of Leviticus is simple. And if you're taking notes, you want to get this. The Bible Project notes that in Leviticus, God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. Let me give you that once again. Here's the simple purpose of Leviticus. That God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. It serves, Leviticus does, as part two of Exodus. It's a continuation of the Exodus story. It's the ongoing drama of the children of Israel. And it serves as a, as a pit stop on the way to the promised land. It takes about a month. Leviticus is about a month in this history of Israel. It's a pit stop before they go on. Now you might remember through our series of the book of Exodus that in Exodus we read of the deliverance of Israel from slavery and their escape from Egypt. We read of the covenant, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai between God and the children of Israel that had both blessings and cursings. If you do this, here's those blessings. But if you disobey me, here's the curses. And we saw that Israel said, we will do these things, we accept. However... <clears throat> We read that the covenant is broken as the children of Israel continue to whine, complain, and even turn back to worshiping the idols that they worshiped in Egypt. But it also ends as Moses cannot enter the tabernacle as God's glory descends on them. Now take your Bible, you're in the, I believe you're in Leviticus chapter 1-1. Look at the, the previous page, Exodus chapter 40. Because that's really where we need to begin as we go into the book of Exodus. And Exodus, Exodus chapter 30 verse 34, it's here on the screen. Exodus ends with both a glorious picture of, God, of God's glory entering the tabernacle, but also a devastating comment regarding Moses' ability to enter it. Now you might recall before that, that Moses was able to enter the former tent of meeting. He was able to go to the mountaintop of God. Look at what you see here in Exodus chapter 40 verse 34. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this is a wonderful story here. This is a wonderful picture of God coming to be the God of Israel. However, look what it says. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting. Moses was not able to enter. And why was he not able to enter? Because the cloud settled on it, settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's a wonderful summary of what's happening there, but also a devastating one. For now, Moses himself, the very prophet of God, the deliverer of Israel, the one who met God and, was, and saw him in the cleft of the rock, the one who had to re, re, carry the veil or put a veil over his face because he had saw the glory of God, could not now enter it because God himself, his glory resided on that tabernacle. But you and I must understand is that God is the creator of life and that God is holy. Of all his attributes, God is love, God is kind, God is compassionate, God is good, God is faithful. There's only one that is repeated three times. God is what? Holy, holy, holy. We sing the song, the old hymn, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. You and I need to understand that. How does God's people live in the presence of a holy God? As we come to the book of Leviticus, we see that they cannot. God has called them out. He has delivered them. He has made a covenant with them, but yet they cannot approach him, nor can their minister, their prophet. Israel is sinful and disobedient and rebellious. And God's holiness sets them apart from all sin. We see this here when we read earlier in our scripture reading. For God cannot enter into wickedness. One theologian remarks that because Yahweh is holy, his people who are in a special covenantal relationship with him must also be holy. That's the expectation. The people must be holy. Their nation must be holy. Their priests must be holy. Not only that is what we're going to see in Leviticus, that God expects their clothing to be holy. Their food must be holy. Their treatment of each other and of foreigners must be holy. All of this because the God who dwells in their midst now is holy. However, by the end of Exodus, we see that these former slaves are still struggling to fully worship God. They have not yet left fully the God of Egypt, the gods of Egypt, I should say. They're struggling with their new found freedom to live as they see fit. And though they're grateful for their deliverance, they are struggling to fully trust in Yahweh as they whine and complain about their lot in life. You see, Leviticus, even as it's a difficult book for you and I to read and to understand, it's a necessary part of God's unfolding story of God's plan to reconcile man to himself. And again, that's why I recommend to you our adult course study as we, we looked at that this morning, as the Bible is one story 
of God redeeming man to himself. Leviticus is actually a giant step forward in Genesis and Exodus. It propels the story even further. Genesis here answers the question of how God will provide Abraham the promised descendants. How does a man who's a hundred years old, how does this man who's going to be the father of many nations, who has no children, how will God provide that? That's Genesis. Exodus answers the question of how God will redeem Abraham's descendants out of slavery in order to bring them to the promised land. How will God redeem them and bring them? Well, as Israel struggles with sin and idolatry continues, this one question remains. How can a holy God relate to sinful people? So God provides, God redeems, and God relates. So Leviticus is going to answer the question, how can a holy God relate to sinful people? Or in the same way, how can sinful people relate to a holy God? That's our question that you and I continue to ask ourselves even today. For we're no different than they. We whine and complain about our lot in life. We're not content. And I would dare say, that many of us struggle living lives of holiness. Well, Leviticus provides us an answer to that question. How does God relate? But what we must understand, as we talked about this morning, about redemption being progressive, is that Leviticus tells us that God is going to provide a way for sinful people to relate to his holiness through four solutions. But what you have to understand is these solutions in Leviticus are temporary. They will last hundreds of years. But as we will see that God provides four temporary solutions to the sin and holiness problem. How can Israel as a sinful nation relate to a holy God? So first turn to Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1. Let's read this verse. You know what? Let's just read it. Oh, you know what? Well, I will just read it uh, to myself here. Well, it's up here. You can see it on the screen. You can read it with me. We won't read the whole verse, but that which is important. Would you read out loud with me? Ready? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting. Now, this here is exciting to me as I read this back when we were studying Exodus. Remember, where do we end with Exodus. Moses not able to enter into the Holy of Holies. So my question is, what will Moses do? He cannot enter into it. He is not one of the priests. He is not holy enough. How can one who once talked with God in various ways, through a burning bush, uh, through, the, through the fire and the clouds and through the mountains and through the earthquakes and through writing on tablets. How will now Moses and the children of Israel speak to God? We don't have to. Because as we see in scripture in each and every area, God is the initiator. What we see here is that the Lord called. What a wonderful way to start the book. Exodus ends on a high note and a low note. But Exodus, or Leviticus comes in and says, and the Lord spoke. 
even though Israel has already rebelled against the covenant of God and continues to complain about their living conditions, and even Moses himself is not able to enter the tabernacle, the Lord called. And I want to encourage you as you read through Leviticus through this series, and I'm going to challenge you to do so. Underline in your Bible every time when you see, and the Lord called Moses, or the Lord called, or the Lord spake. Hence why to the, to the, to, uh, to the Hebrews, they titled their book after, and he called. In Exodus, or Exodus, yeah, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, we had read that God had promised Israel this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you and you alone shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Though Israel has not been faithful, uh, has not been faithful, God will be. That's what we see in the book of Leviticus. The faithfulness of God. And not only is God as faithful, but he provides a way for them to worship and interact with a holy God. Leviticus is God's instruction for a newly redeemed people, teaching them how to worship and obey him. So with that, let's look at the four temporary solutions. It's here on the monitor for you. Is first, the first way that they're going to do it in a temporary solution is God is going to give them some rituals that include sacrifices or offerings and also festivals. So as we read for next week, the first seven chapters, you're going to read about all the sacrifices and offerings they'll have. Later in the book, we'll look at festivals that they will celebrate. And by the way, what's interesting as we start this, this is uh, the first day of the uh, Hebrew calendar and the Messianic church is going to be here tonight and also tomorrow as they're celebrating one of these Levitical uh, feasts. They still uh, follow those. So festivals and sacrifices. The second temporary solution is the purity laws. And this is where you and I just get lost. The ritual and moral purity laws that define for Israel what is clean and what is unclean. The third thing that God gives them, he gives them priests. These priests are going to be ordained and the qualification listed so that they may serve as mediators between God and man. And fourthly, this is the highlight. This is chapter 19 of Leviticus is the day of atonement. God gives them a temporary solution to a problem that points to the need of a substitute and a redeemer. So all these things, these rituals, the purity, or the, the rituals, the offerings and the sacrifices and the festivals, the purity laws, the moral and the civil ones, uh, the ritual ones, the priests and the day of atonement, all of these now are just temporary in the story of redemption. And they all will point to Christ. And that's important for you and I to understand as we read through this book. One, the Bible dictionary notes that Leviticus enshrines the laws by which the religious and civil organization of a primitive theocracy, meaning it's not that it's, that it's a caveman theology, but that it's just beginning, was to be regulated. They were to be different from the people around them. And this here, these temporary solutions, is helps them say or see how they can relate to a holy God. Pastor Mark Deaver notes that it makes two points. Leviticus makes two points that you and I should be aware of. 
The first one, and this is something that you need to understand, that God's people are distinct. God's people are distinct, so they should live holy lives. Not only Israel, but us as today as his people. The priests must especially be distinct as they are going to have special duties and special provisions and special judgment. The whole people, the children of Israel, from high to low, must be distinct by observing the cleanliness and ritual purities that symbolize holiness. It didn't make one holy, but it symbolized what holiness is. The second thing that Leviticus will share with us is that people are sinful. Now, this is no surprise, but they should offer sacrifices to a holy God. You see, sinful people, as we see in Scripture, will need sacrifices to atone for their sin. They will serve as constant reminders of the separation sin has with the holy God. And the day of atonement will point to the need of a redeemer in the work of Christ again, all of these things will point to a true redeemer. Now, as you read through Leviticus together, look for these ideas. As we read the first seven chapters, it's going to deal with various kinds of sacrifices and offerings that are required. Eight, chapters 8 through 10 will deal with Aaron and his sons as he prepares them to mediate between God and the people. Chapters 11 through 15, which will become one of those things that become difficult, is the purity laws that are governed every facet of their lives. And the last 17 through 27, they enumerate the various laws regarding holiness. Now, I understand and I agree that as you read through this, that many times these can become so overwhelming and at times maybe even confusing. But let me say with you, stay with it. For this Leviticus will help us understand where the story of God is working through. And I believe it's also important because for you, many people, we've talked about this in our adult core class. You know, one of the books that, that non-believers will challenge Christianity with is what? The book of Leviticus. They will say, well, you're not living exactly as the Bible. You believe the Bible is literal? Do you believe the whole Bible is the book of God, is the, is, the, is the word of God? Then why do you wear clothing made of two types of material? Why do you still braid your hair? Why do you, do not, why do you eat bacon? Why do you eat shellfish? And so they'll use this type of thing as an attack. And so we must understand Leviticus. It addresses the responsibility of the Levites as they help the people, instruct the people how to live lives of holiness. Now, if you're like me, and I can already see it, some of you are already starting to fall asleep, or you're beginning to daydream, and you're wondering how in the world are you going to spend your next few Sundays here. But let me encourage you, stay with us. Read and pray through Leviticus with us. Be prepared to tackle this strange, foreign, ancient book that was written to a nation in a faraway land. Trust me, you will come away with a new view of this book and the faithfulness of God as he calls us to follow him in lives of holiness. One theologian remarks that there are five reasons to read and study this book. You'll see them on the monitor. Number one, it reminds us of the grace of our God and the cost of our sin. 
We must be reminded of this. Leviticus exposes God's grace in providing a mediator. It explains what God requires of those who approach him in worship. It foreshadows the forgiveness of sin as one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And fifthly, it outlines how God's people are to be holy as God is holy. But it shares this five reasons why we should. You see, Leviticus doesn't merely detail animal sacrifices and holiness codes. It's not just to help us understand all sorts of weird things. It does that, but it does so much more. It exposes the heart of a gracious God who provides a substitute for the sin of his repentant people. That substitute not only received the death penalty in our place, but he also obeyed in our place, gaining for us all the blessings of holiness. In this wonderful book, you will actually find an early gospel message. And that's where I want to challenge you and excite you. As you read through this, you are actually going to see an early presentation of the gospel. In this book, you'll see the gospel as it defines for us or shows us and illustrates the high cost of sin. And this is something that I think that you need to understand as well as everyone that we know. It's the high cost of sin. It costs the death of an innocent animal. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that under the law, speaking of Leviticus, speaking of Exodus, speaking of the law of God, it says that almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You and I must understand that the cost of sin is death. The cost of Adam and Eve choosing to disobey God was death. An animal died at the first to dress them, to to protect them, to cover their shame. You and I, many times, we, we fill our lives and we real quickly will say, well, God, forgive me for this. I'm sorry I did this. But there is a high cost to sin. And Exodus will show us, or excuse me, Leviticus will show us time and time again that a young lamb, a dove, An ox, a ram, has to die for sin. Not just once a year, but continually. Do you understand that? As you're choosing to sin this morning, this afternoon, this evening, as you battle your sin, do you recognize the high cost of sin? But it also will give us the beautiful picture of grace and redemption. How? How? As God does not require that penalty from you or from the individual Israelite, but through a substitute. That shows us the gospel. For you and I know that it was Christ who came to pay that penalty of our sin. And it's Christ who came to be that perfect lamb, that ox, that ram, that pigeon, that dove who came and died for us. 1 John chapter 4 says, In this the love of God was made manifest or made known among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God is always the initiator in our relationship. 
And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that means God's wrath was appeased. It pleased God. It made us friends. And so what we'll see in Leviticus is a beautiful picture of grace and redemption, even as that animal is killed and torn apart and its blood poured out on the, on the altar and its parts taken a place and cooked and eaten. It's a wonderful picture of God's grace. Now, it may not seem like that at first. And lastly, thirdly, we're going to see the gospel. And this is something that you and I need to understand as well. Is the corporate and personal call to holiness. Do not live like the Canaanites. Do not live as the inhabitants of this land. That's what God will tell the Israelites. He's preparing them as they move into the promised land. He says, you're now going to be in a people that are very wicked. They are now going to be destroyed because they are impure, unclean, unholy. You are not to live like them. You're not to dress like them. You're not to, to live as they do. Hence why we'll see these temporary solutions, these ritual and moral purity laws. But in the same way, the gospel tells us to live differently. The gospel tells us that we're to pick up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. The Leviticus are going to be told to live lives that are going to be very difficult and to follow rituals that are going to be very hard to do. First Peter chapter 1, 13 says, prepare your minds for action, believers. Be sober-minded, Christian. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because it's written in Scripture, you shall be holy for I am as holy. So the gospel includes these three things, the high cost of sin, the beautiful picture of grace and redemption through a substitute, and also the call to holiness. So in Leviticus, we will see God's, or we will see sin, grace, and holiness. Why? Because that's the gospel. It's the same gospel that you and I have today. Sin, grace, and holiness. The gospel then and the gospel now proclaims the same thing. You and I must understand this. We must grasp this. So what does this mean for you and I today? At the same time, Leviticus is a book for us today. Because we're still a sinful people and God is still holy Leviticus reminds us of our need for God's mercy and our need for a faithful mediator who will atone for our sin. Leviticus will give you a greater appreciation for the work and person of Jesus Christ. You're going to ask yourself, well, how do I deal with all these Levitical food and cleanliness laws? These are the things that people always ask me. What is the point of these laws? Well, the point is that God's people are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart. There's no such thing as belonging to one of God's people before believing. Unfortunately, churches do that. 
Oh, you don't have to really belong. You, you know, we'll just let you be a member of the church or we'll just, we'll just agree that you're one of God's people before you actually believe and follow. No. It requires a sacrifice, a commitment. In the redemption history of the Bible story, it's important for us to look back at Exodus chapter 9, where God says, I'm going to make you a holy nation, a set-apart nation. Now, these laws don't directly apply to the church today because God's holiness has now become internal. That's what Jesus was teaching, not just external. It's not what goes into a man, Jesus says, that makes him clean, but what comes out from, from him. So Leviticus will have a lot of external laws, but the problem was it did not change their hearts. So it helps us to see that. What does this mean for non-Christians and the reigning worldview of today? Well, it tells us very simply that God cares about every aspect of our lives, from our homes to our work. It tells us who, we should, who they sleep with, how they treat their spouses and children, the ambitions of their heart, and what to do with their money. Non-believers need Leviticus as well. We are not as autonomous as we think we are. His holiness leads to judgment of all that is not holy. There is not one part of your life that God does not look at and say, that is mine. Now you try to compartmentalize that. But I tell you, when you stand before God, he's going to say, that time was mine. That thought was mine. Your Netflix account was mine. Was it holy? I agree, man. Then all of a sudden I start thinking, is my life holy as it should be? What does this mean for us as society? That God was doing something unique in the political nation of Israel. And that does not mean that America is, not, is, is the new Israel. We are not. But it does tell us that God cares about how the people of every nation live. What do we learn about Christ? We learn that Christ fulfilled these laws. He takes what was temporary and he makes it a permanent solution. He was perfectly holy. God fulfilled the law as we know in scripture. What does this say about individual Christians? That Christ has come to make us clean. Yet let the nation of Israel, the New Testament calls us to live distinct and holy lives. Maybe not in the same way as he did in Leviticus, but he still calls us to be holy in all areas of our lives. Now what would be said for the church as a whole? That's what we mean by corporate. The church is precisely what God means for us to grow in holiness. We encourage and rebuke one another towards Christ's likeness, or we should, if we're involved in each other's life. We're to build into one another's lives. We're to practice membership and discipleship and discipline. We snatch one another from the fire, as Jude tells us to. Holiness has a corporate character. Your life is not your own. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes to the Gentiles. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, uh, and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. You're built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself was the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place. So even here, God calls us to approach him in holiness. It is through our singing and through our praying and through our reading of scripture and listening that you and I come to relate to a holy God. Apostle Paul wrote, or Peter, excuse me, wrote in 1 Peter 2 that just as Israel was, you and I as believers are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He tells us that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So with that, let me close by saying and challenging you. Let us approach this book as God's revealed world, word to a sinful people. It instructs us how God is reconciling a sinful people to himself. Let us read with awareness the cost of sin, the grace of God's mercy towards us, and his call to holiness. Would you come and read and study Leviticus with us as we learn the faithfulness of a triune God who wants us to relate to him? We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.